Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the newest episode of the Going Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. It's a special day for the Going Long Podcast. We are once again bringing on one of my favorite guests, Oregon legend Joey Harrington, to break down the Ducks win over Texas Tech and, you know, look at uh, um, last weekend's action and kind of just what we've seen from the team so far this season. Uh, after that, I'm briefly going to talk about Hawaii. Um, not too much as we go into this game. It's projected to be quite a bit of a blowout, but we've got a lot on tap for you. Uh, we've got a really good one here. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get into it. All right, happy day for all of you Duck fans. Happy day for me. We get the pleasure of welcoming on Joey Harrington once again to this Going Long podcast. Joey, thank you for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm, I'm happy to talk some football. Um, we've got a million things to get to, so I want to just jump right in if you're all right with it. Um, we will talk about the season overall. We're going to talk about the players, the schedule, all of that. First things first, though, I have to ask you the most important question right up top, something that only you can really answer. Uh, what do you think of the Bo Nix billboards? And is there any sliver of you and your ego that feels hurt that you're no longer the only Oregon quarterback to to lord over New York City? Oh, for crying out loud. I love it. <laughs> uh, people forget that Keenan had a billboard the next year. In New York. He did. I forgot. I, I even forgot about that myself. You're right. Only and Oregon quarterback then. I thought that Ontario had one too. I could have been wrong, but I thought okay. I, like I uh, did it like switch out mid year or something, but I could have sworn Ontario had something as well, but no, I love it. I love the fact that um, it's almost kind of retro, right? Yeah. And, um and the fact that it's retro and billboards don't work anymore and, you know, there was all this, you know, again, discussion around whether or not it's a good idea or a bad idea. Can you believe what they did? Oh, that's so stupid because everything happens on social media now. And nobody looks at billboards. Yet that actual criticism was coming via social media during which you were talking about the billboard, which then brought people's attention to <laughs> which is exactly the point of what you were saying in the first place. Like it was it was perfect brilliant and again like it could have been not a flop right it, it was a bigger gamble when I was um, when I was a senior because we had never been there before right um, you know we come out and and you know lay an egg against against Wisconsin and all of a sudden it's the dumbest thing in the world similarly Bo what has he done just come out and <laughs> You know, surgically just go, I mean, I I don't know exact numbers, but what? I mean, 70 some percent completions. 75, yeah. I mean, throwing the ball all over the place. Like he's looked looked every bit a Heisman candidate. Um, And, you know, it's a long, it's a long season, right? A lot of um, hype around, um, you know, Caleb Williams and Shooter Sanders for good reason. But I was going to say without the two of them, um, you know, I would probably say that, you know, he is a leading candidate. Um, you know, Travis Hunter is obviously, you know, not doing too bad for himself as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not to jinx anything, but so far, yeah find find some wood around you and and knock a few times for all the Oregon fans Um, there we go we will we'll talk more about Shador Sanders Travis Hunter coming up here but first let's talk a little bit about Texas Tech Um, this past weekend obviously they got the win it was not pretty I think that a lot of fans even coaches agreed afterwards Uh, penalties were a major problem how do you feel and how did you feel in general walking away from that victory relief Okay. You know, I, I think that's the biggest thing. You're not going to look back on that game. You're not going to look back on that game at the end of the year and say, man, there was a marquee win, right? Mm-hmm. That's 
However, there are going to be enough marquee wins within the conference that you're just glad to not have stumbled on the road against Texas Tech, right? I think if you're looking at, you know, a month ago, you were saying, hey, this Texas Tech game could prove to be, you know, potentially one of those, all right, hey, check mark at the end of the year. I think losing to Wyoming um, mm-hmm. is going to knock some of the luster off Texas Tech, no matter where they finish up, right? Um, and interestingly enough, I know we we all knew that there were going to be four to five really good teams in the, in the Pac-12. I don't think anybody, I mean, there are plenty of people outside of the Colorado locker room who said, hey, this is going to be a much improved team. You know, let's give them six, seven, eight wins. I don't think anybody outside of that, that you know, the hundred guys in, in that locker room um, would have said that they were going to be playing the way that they are right now. I mean, this is, what does what Oregon have, or what is Oregon, the, the conference has eight teams in, in the Correct. 25 right now. I mean, Correct. there's going to be plenty of, opportunities for marquee wins um, during the course of the regular season. Again, a regular season, which the PAC 12 plays nine conference games and most other conferences mm-hmm. play eight. Uh, we, we don't need to go into that. Uh, they analyze <laughs> themselves. I mean, that's, that's what happens, but um, I'm not looking at this game the same way that you, that I looked at it, you know, four weeks ago. You're, you're right. It was, it was sloppy. It was the first road opportunity, uh, you know, it, maybe it brought up more, I, I say brought up more questions about the defense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I had that moment in the second drive against Portland state where, you know, they are going chunk, 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 where you just, you pause for a minute and say, should this really be happening? Um, but then they got, you know, they righted the ship and, and it was fantastic. There are things that come out of it, penalties, how they played on defense, um, that need to be corrected. And like I said, relief that this wasn't a stumbling block in what could be a, a, a pretty tremendous season going forward. The thing that really stands out to me is that, you know, you know this very well. In college football, they say that the the biggest improvements for most teams come between week one and week two. Because after the coaching staff gets to see what they have in week one, they kind of really get to make those adjustments going to week two. I think for Oregon this year, because of who they played in week one, because of that, you know, a glorified scrimmage, all due respect to to Portland State, I think their biggest improvement is going to come between week two and week three. Because like you said, we've got a little bit more questions about the defense, more questions in general about this team. After that Texas Tech game, I think that they're going to really, you know, Dan Lanning always says they go to the doctors on Sundays and Mondays to kind of see where they went wrong, what they need to fix. I think there's a lot of fix, but they at least know now what they need to do in order to get better. Um, You know, a ton of backlash, I guess I would say, after this game came for the defense, like you said. Um, You know, you never go to social media to get logical analysis of a game, but there's been a lot of fans talking about, you know, Tosh Lapoy really has some some questions to answer. Some fans calling for his job, which is nonsense. I think he's a good coordinator, and you know we need a bigger sample size. My concern at this point was, you know, defense had its problems, but I think that I was a little bit strangely concerned with the offense. It got pretty stagnant there in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no touchdowns in the second or third quarter, no points in the third quarter at all. Did you? What did you make from that? You're a, an offensive guy. You you know the schematics of it. What do you make from Oregon's offensive performance? What do you make so far of Will Stein this year? Um, uh, I think to the second question, I think it's too small of a sample size. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that Bo has has done a nice job. I, I think that there are logical questions. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you bring up some good points. Um, to go down, what was it, twenty-seven to eighteen, um, mm-hmm. in the third quarter? Like, there were a few missed opportunities. There were a few. Look, th- th- this is. I'm trying to think of how how best to say it. Football, I would say more than any other sport, you are truly reliant on every single one of your teammates out there. 
right? Basketball, you give the ball to LeBron, you know, baseball, you know, Shohei can, you know, single-handedly take over a game. Um, One person misses a block. One person doesn't run the route that the quarterback was expecting. The quarterback throws the ball a little bit, you know, a slightly inaccurate ball. Um, Running back misses a hole. Like there are a lot of things that I think can be explained um, about the second and third quarter. The good thing is the way that they responded in the fourth, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I'm really curious, and and it was a curiosity, you know, the the two things that – that I had, that I had questions about um, coming into the season were, you know, defensively, can they get pressure on the quarterback with with just a four man rush? I don't know that we've seen that yet. And what's the offensive mm-hmm. line look like? Right? How, how are they going to play after a season where Bo was literally? I don't know that Bo's uniform had to go into the washing machine last year. Like <laughs> it was, it was they they were that good up front. Um, you know, you combine some inopportune penalties with a few missed opportunities um, and, and you get yourself a nine point deficit in the third quarter on the road. I mean, those things happen. I'm not overly concerned, but but there there are things that that do need to be addressed, um, which which I think can be cleaned up or, or corrected just by cleaning up a few of those mistakes coming into week three. Yeah. I don't want to focus a ton on the Hawaii game this weekend because, you know, all due respect to Hawaii, it shouldn't be too competitive. I know they're going to air it out a ton. They don't run the ball a ton. So Oregon's secondary is probably going to get some really good work. We'll learn a little bit more about them. But let's be honest, if that if the final score of that game is within three or four touchdowns, I think that we've got some some concerns about Oregon. Uh, rather, I want to look ahead to week four with you and get some early thoughts from you on Colorado. Um, I know you may not have done a deep dive on Colorado's roster. I personally have not either, but you have to be living under a rock to not have taken notice of what Dion and company have done over in Boulder. So what are your initial takeaways from this? I mean, it's the, it's kind of changing college football. It's the evolution of college football in front of us, the way that he's put together this roster via the transfer portal and just the, it's, it's a new version of college football happening in front of our eyes. What are some of your instant takeaways from that? Do you think it has legs going forward? Well, obviously I I think it has legs. I mean, because he's proven that it can work. I mean, this is, (laughs) this is the incarnation of free agency in, in college football. Right. And we can have a whole, a whole nother discussion about, you know, the state of what what's left of college football, you know, which is essentially mm-hmm. a glorified minor league for the NFL. I mean, it, it college football doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sooner we realize that and, you know, the sooner we can make the necessary adjustments to make sure that everybody's playing on the same, you know, um, playing by the same rules and, you know, and is we're all rowing the same boat. Um, the, I was I was actually texting when Colorado played TCU two weeks ago. Um, I was texting Joel Klatt, who was calling the game, and I said, "This offense reminds me a lot of what Chip did in mm-hmm. you know the the early early two thousand tens, right? This this was um, it was fast. It was." you know, fast and furious, but still um, decisive and different. And there was no, nobody was forcing the issue, right? You, you have to have a guy who truly understands, understands defenses to be able to run something like that. Here's, you know, one, two, three, bam, here's where I'm going and here's why I'm going there. If he goes there, I go there, don't hesitate, right? It, it's 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 math. It's what it is. Mm-hmm. They have an added element. You know, I was I was texting with him. I said, God, this this reminds me of 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 Chip. 
and quick passing game and, you know, accurate. And, you know, they overload here, you go here. Running game is stretch and find a hole and, and cut, you know, one cut and go downhill. You know, I'm thinking of the Michael, you know, like, all right, fast. You know, he, he runs the stretch and then sees his seam and then bam goes. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they go full, uh, they go big back and just power one into the end zone. I was like, except we didn't have that. Yeah, we didn't mm-hmm. we didn't have that power goal line game, right? That was always our, our Achilles heel. There Colorado is a very good football team. Mm-hmm. Offensively. Yeah. Defensively, I, I honestly think it, it it's kind of like Oregon. They're they're mm-hmm. very similar to Oregon as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, they're not gonna dominate on defense. They're gonna score enough. You know, they're, they're going to try and win games, you know, 38 to 27. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see, and it's interesting because we get them early in the year. I'm curious to see how much depth they have. Yeah. They, 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 how, how do you survive the, the longevity? You know, how do you survive the duration of the season? Because if you're playing Travis Hunter, 128 snaps week one, like <laughs> that is literally two games within one. You are playing double the amount of, of anybody else, right? And I know what it felt, you know, what it felt like to play one game. You know, I, mm-hmm. I saw what the the skill position, you know, the wideouts, the running backs, DBs felt like playing one game. This guy's playing two games within one, right? So yeah. at what point does he does he break down? At what point do they say, hey, we got to dial it back a little? The question then becomes, well, who picks up the slack? And, well, who picks up the slack are the, the three other guys who had 100 yards receiving in week one. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a good football team. This is um, – to me, it's a, it's a bit of a mirror image of, of what Oregon is, was, and, you know, and, and still kind of is, you know, is and, and, and was and, you know, kind of our, I would say our identity. Um, I think I think it's going to be a, a fantastic game. I think that that the team that can make a defensive stop, the team that can create a turnover, the team that can ride a little bit of defensive momentum is going to be the team that wins. Because like we saw, I think we've seen both teams explode offensively. Mm-hmm. We've seen both teams struggle a little bit offensively for a stretch. Mm-hmm. Right, Colorado didn't come out and, and and dominate from the very beginning of the game against Nebraska. They, you know, they, it took them a little bit. Um, they turned it on at the end. Similar to you know, like you just said, Oregon didn't score a touchdown in the third or, or the second or third quarter, right? And then they turned it on at the end. I I think this could end up being one of the most exciting college football games of the season. I don't know about surprising anymore, you know, because like you mm-hmm. said, he's found out about Colorado. I'm curious to see how long it lasts. I, I, I really am because we've seen what their number ones can do. We've seen mm-hmm. what happens when somebody transfers in and, you know, you completely overhaul. But what happens when, when Travis Hunter's banged up? You know, what happens when you got to go to that, that depth that you're, you know, you're supposed to build depth through recruiting through, um, I I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. I I said to my brother, actually, you know, um, after that week one game for, for Colorado, I said, this could potentially be a team that starts five and one and then Mm -hmm. eight and four. Yeah. Right. Very true. Because the, the grind and, 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 and and I only say that because. I don't know who they have. Uh, I don't know that who they have in, in their backup positions. I don't know how you know what does their offensive line truly look like, right? What happens yeah. if, if they have an injury up front? Um, you know, they, they've shown to have some great skill position players, but can can they protect for the you know for the length of the season? I I don't know. I think there's question marks, um, but we're playing them in week four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of the biggest thing to me is this game is going to come down in my mind to offensive line and defensive line play. I mean, we like you said that we still have questions about both of those position groups for Oregon, but I think we feel relatively confident that at their best, if they're playing up to par that we expect, they can be pretty good. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think we saw we saw Oregon's defensive line play really well this past week. Got four sacks. They had. Um, I think I looked at the the PFF grades. They had twenty pressures, I believe. Um, 12, 12 QB hurries. So they looked really good. And the offensive line is talented. They haven't they haven't quite gelled yet. But again, it's it's week two. I don't think that we would expect them to be uh, playing at their their ceiling yet. But those are two major questions I still have for Colorado because yes, Deion Sanders can recruit the crap out of the nation when it comes to skill players. He can get every flashy player uh, that he wants to come play for him in Boulder, but can he be like Mario Cristobal and get those beefy linemen to play for him? Can he be like Dan Lanning and get those, those, uh, sorry, the offensive lineman for Cristobal, the defensive lineman for Lanning. Mm-hmm. Can he get those guys in the trenches that can really, um, carry that game and play throughout the season, get that depth on the roster, like you said. So, um, more to this point a little bit, we've got a lot of evidence this year that this may be one of the best PAC 12 seasons we've seen in a, a really long time. Um, looking at this conference as a whole, I know we're going to get into uh, my next question after this, we're going to get into kind of how ironic this is and how frustrating it is. But um, just to start looking at this as a whole, are there any teams so far that have really impressed you and who do you think can get, you know, can maybe bring a bit of a surprise at the end of the year that they're still hanging around when we didn't really think that going into the season? I I'm really impressed with the way Utah has won two games without Cam Rising. Okay. I yeah. am. Um, I know, I know it was, it was ugly last week. It was close. You know, they had to win it at the end. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure we're going to look back at the end of the season and say, Florida is not a great team, you know, not a fantastic football team, but to win two, who, who did they play? I'm trying to think of who they played week two. They were uh, Baylor. Baylor. Yeah. I was like, it's still a good program. Right, still a Big Twelve program play, to play two Power Five teams. Right, they're not they, they weren't playing Portland State, they weren't playing Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Right, and to do that without their God, it feels like he's been there for you know it's about a decade. He has been. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to do that, I was going to say without their senior, but I was like, how about super senior quarterback camera? Yeah. You know, that's that's impressive. That says something about the makeup of their team. I'm, I don't know. I've been saying it for years. I think Jonathan Smith is the perfect guy for Oregon State. Mm-hmm. And you add a guy like DJ to the mix. Um, last year, they were tremendous defensively. They were tremendous running the football. They needed a quarterback. Mm-hmm. They got a quarterback. At least, you know, they got a five-star, you know, transfer from, from, from Clemson who, who showed in, in week one that – um, you know, he can go out and complete 80% of his passes. I mean, we've seen everything we've needed to see from, from, from DJ so far. Now, you know, put him under, mm-hmm. let's see what happens. I, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, everybody's, SC is a great, a great team. Michael Penix, you know, fantastic mm-hmm. player. Um, I don't think that UCLA with a freshman quarterback is going to be one of those teams at the end of the season. Um you know, maybe Washington State surprises some people after a you know big win against Wisconsin. Um, you know, I'm I still I I I'm curious. I won't say that I have questions. I'll say I'm curious to see, like we talked about, how Colorado holds up over the length of the season. But if you're looking at two teams that are built for a long, tough stretch against, you know a conference that has eight teams in the top 25 right now, the two programs you're going to look at are, or the two teams are going to be Oregon state and Utah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're solid on defense. They've, you know, they're, they're great running the football and, you know, Utah's won some tough games, Oregon state, like they, they've got their quarterback now. So mm-hmm. I, I think those are two teams that you could very easily see come week, you know, week 11, Playing for something, you know, something important, uh, along with you know the Oregon, USC, Washington, Colorado, whoever comes out of that 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 mix of the of the favorites, right? Um, you can mm-hmm. like like Utah and, and Oregon State in the mix at the end of the year. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, and you you mentioned them briefly, but I want to touch my pick for this. You know, this answer would be Washington State. I've been incredibly impressed by what I've seen from them so far. Um, 
you know, they're always, they've kind of always been that team in the Pac-12 that even when they're not great, they can be the ultimate giant killers in the Pac-12. They can give any one of those top teams a, a run for their money. And now I think they're actually pretty decent. I've, I've liked what I've seen from Cam Ward so far. Let I know stop. they lost. Go ahead. Me, yeah, please go ahead. You said they're actually kind of decent. But kind of decent doesn't put you in the mix at the end of the season. Because wasn't that the question, that's, that's right? Fair. The question was, yes, what are yeah. the you could be surprised or, or you know, surprised or, or could see in the mix at the end of the season? I could completely see Washington State winning eight games this year. But mm-hmm. I don't think that – and maybe that's just the – maybe it's it's I, – I have a, a lifetime of seeing Wazoo Koo get away. Right. You know, with the exception, you know, with the exception of a year with with Ryan Leaf and a year with Jason Gesser, like they mm-hmm. always find a way to, you know, let it slide out, the, out out the window. And especially in a conference that's this deep, I can't see them going week to week to week um, and putting up that type of you know performance. But I could be wrong. I think what I would say about them is they're a team that I've probably gained the most respect slash fear for in the Pac-12 because they are a team, I think, that could absolutely give any of those top teams in the conference a run for their money any given week. And we always say that the Pac-12 completely cannibalizes itself. I think Washington State is going to embody that this year because they are playing with a giant chip on their shoulder this year, as is Oregon State, and I think they're ready to tear any other team down. So that leads... um, very well into this next question. I struggled initially with whether or not I wanted to ask you this, but you know, I respect your opinion and I know that a lot of fans you can ask me anything. Come on. No, I know. I know a lot of fans would be curious to hear what you have to say about the conference realignment stuff with Oregon going to the big 10. Obviously, you know, firsthand about the magnificent history of the PAC 12. You helped write a lot of that history when it was the PAC 10. Take me back a couple of months now and kind of walk me through your early reactions and maybe how your thoughts and opinions have changed and morphed a little bit to where they are now with Oregon's move to, you know, the Big Ten, Washington leaving, everything going to the Big 12, just kind of the, the destruction of the Pac-12 as we know it. I don't know that – I don't know that my opinions or feelings have actually changed at all during this. Um, I was disappointed when SC and UCLA left, (laughs) but I could, you know, I could kind of understand why I'm extremely disappointed in the way the conference has completely fallen apart, but with the way that college football has changed, I, I understand why I'm happy that Oregon is is part of this, right? It is you know whatever it is this college football thing that now exists. I'm I'm happy that Oregon is part of it. I'd rather be Oregon than than Oregon State. Mm-hmm. And trying to figure out whether they're going to join the Mountain West or you know or the Pac two and the lawsuits and <laughs> it, it, it just it it's really sad. Right. Because I had this thought, like if UCLA, SC, Oregon and Washington are attractive to the Big Ten and Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado and Utah are attractive to the Big 12. And, you know, with an Cal and Stanford, yeah, (laughs) you know, with an asterisk, Cal and Stanford are attractive to the to the ACC. Why couldn't you put those schools all together in one conference and make something that's attractive to a TV network, right? Like that's the, zero sense. Like I, I don't get it. And so then it comes down to complete mismanagement. Mm-hmm. It comes down to mismanagement of of something that is like uh, to see the. I don't know if it's neglect. Mm-hmm. I think that there's some there was some ego in there, you know, whether it was, you know, Larry Scott and, and his vision for what the conference and, you know, the network, you know, the Pac-12 network or it could be or whether it was, you know, the stories about, you know, whatever professors are, are giving advice to the to the t- school presidents that you know, we should be getting 50 mm-hmm. million, like whatever the 
situation is. I think that there was ego involved. Um, and I think it's led to the collapse of, of truly one of the iconic parts of college football or of college sports. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the thing that I think a lot of people at first, you know, now the, the discussion has come out that I think a lot of people overlooked is mm -hmm. as soon as this happened, some of the first responses I saw were from softball players mm -hmm. who said, I signed with my school because I wanted to play the best in the best softball conference in the country. And I wanted to play in a place where my parents could come and watch me. I didn't sign up to play Rutgers and have my, and my, have my <laughs> in a jersey. Right. And I think that's, you know, that, that's a small microcosm of, of this whole picture that at a time when we are truly starting to understand what is required of student athletes, like the rigors that they go through both athletically and academically. Um, you know, football can, football charters a plane on, on Friday afternoon, flies to wherever they're going, plays their game on Saturday, literally goes straight back to the plane. And mm -hmm. then Saturday evening, I never missed one class because of my football schedule. Mm -hmm. Never one. Now I missed a couple of classes because I, you know, slept in, <laughs> but never once because I was traveling to a game. You're telling me that putting, you know, and so football is the only team that that, that travels, you know, a charter. The golf, yeah. they're they're hopping on a on a commercial flight, whereas they used to be able to just go straight to L.A. or go straight to, you know, to Phoenix. Now you're connecting through Denver to get to Chicago or to get to Newark or to get, you know, and you're not telling me that there's going to be, I mean, you can't tell me that the stress and the strain that these athletes, the volleyball players, the golfers, softball, tennis, you know, I, that the added travel, the added days away from class, the added, like it's, it's truly Unfair is is kind of sounds like a whiny word, right? Mm -hmm. Like fair. Well, you know, the world isn't fair. Great, we get it. But to make a decision for the majority of your student athletes, right? Every school says we we care about our student athletes, we support our student athletes, you know, it's all about our student athletes. Well, this decision was not made in the best interest of the majority of your student athletes. It wasn't. Yeah, that's the that's the problem, is we're we're treating this as a football story. Like you've said, when it's really, it's not in reality, it's a college athletic story. And we're, we're asking these student athletes to be just athletes now, but still making them be students as well. So um, I've talked a lot about this. I, my opinion is, is well formed that it's for a football story. I think it's incredible for Oregon, but yeah, man, I, I just feel this, so yeah, sorry. Going forward. You got your place, right? I mean, it's, it's I, awesome. Yeah. I think ultimately, you know, th this, it's, it's funny. What would it have been? 2011? We almost had what would have been. So there, there's two ways that I, I felt like this, this could, should have gone, right? One was the creation of the four super conferences. Mm -hmm. And not many people remember that Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, um, wasn't it Baylor? Was it Baylor? There were, I, I, I want to say Baylor. There were six schools. I think it was Colorado. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if Utah was involved in that, but there were six schools that were moving to the PAC 12. I mean, they were like this close and that was when A&M was going to the SEC and the big 12 and the reason was was money, right? Texas was like, we're not getting our, you know, we're, we're the, the driving force behind this. And the Big 12 said, fine, you can have your, your own TV network, hence Longhorn Network, 
right? Mm -hmm. So what would have happened with that is those six teams would have gone to the, the Pac-12 and you'd had a Pac, you know, a 16 team here over here. You, the remaining parts of the Big 12, Missouri, A&M, you know, would have gone into the SEC. Some Iowa State, you know, would have gone up with Iowa in the, um, mm -hmm. in the Big 10. And you would have had a, it perfectly, you know, aligned out where you would have had 16, 16, 16, 16. Like the Big East ACC became 16. You know, the remaining Big 12 went up with the Big 10 and became 16. The Nebraska, you know, and it was, it was your four corners, your super conferences and everything was set. Well, Longhorn Network screwed that up, right? And so now, now you were, you were constantly in a, um, in a place where everybody's shifting and changing, trying to get those TV dollars. And, and now we're to a point where I think, you know, college football needs to divorce itself from the universities. I mean, I agree. It, it's, it's the only way to do it. You, and I mean, like I said, we could literally have an entire show on just how that would work and why it should work because we are literally living in a time when the, the stuff that SMU got the death penalty for with Craig yeah. James and Eric Dickerson. And I mean, that's nothing compared to the money that is being tossed around right now. And, and like open, like out in the open, Reggie Bush doesn't have his Heisman for That's a fraction criminal. of what some of these people are being paid. Like, so, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily against it. I'm just saying that there needs to be in the same way the, the NFL has a salary cap, the rules, mm -hmm. are, right? Let's make an even fair playing field. Let's not have mm -hmm. secret collectives that aren't part of the athletic department budget, but then can somehow like pay and give cars and like, let's just do it. Like, yeah. and come up with a fair, equitable way for all these teams, all these schools, I guess. Hey. <laughs> but it's not really like, it's not yeah, it's school anymore. And I think that's, the, that's that right there is the point. Like, it's not about school. It's not about giving athletes an opportunity for an education. It's not about building connections and work ethic and, and, you know, teaching young students values and competitiveness. And it's about cash. Yeah. Yeah. It always is. All right. We've got, I've got two more questions for you. I want to try and squeeze in here before you got to get going. Right. Um, we're going to switch gears a little bit. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this over the past probably month or so. A lot has been made by Oregon fans about Dan Lanning's interactions with the media, um, just overall in general. Lanning is kind of—he's an incredibly nice guy. I I really enjoy covering him, but he's not very willing to share information with the public. To put it kindly, you've seen both sides of this. I mean, you were a player who knew the value of injury information and schematic information not getting out into the you know to become public knowledge, but now you work more on the media side of things. So. Um, you you understand the desire to get some of that info. What is your overall take on the way that Lanning goes about this, and how how's your kind of view on the push and pull between these opposing sides? Okay, is it mandatory for them? Ask you two questions: Is it mandatory for the NFL to put out accurate injury reports and to to provide that information to the media? Yes. Okay. Is it mandatory for college coaches coaches to to put out accurate injury reports and give the media that information? Absolutely not. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's it's a cut and dry thing for me. If if I'm a coach and I don't have to tell you, I'm not going to tell you. I can be pleasant and I can I can have a good relationship and I can be personable. You know, there there's a difference between what I you know as a as a fan, as a consumer, as a, you know, a consumer of like football media. Um, what do I want versus what yeah. entitled, you know, like there, there's this feeling of entitled, like, well, I'm entitled to that. I'm, no, you're not. <laughs> you like to have it, you know, but um, he doesn't have to tell you. Yeah, I'm sure. Would it be cool to like have a little, you know, more information. So you feel like you're part of the, Oh, I know that so-and-so is out and this guy's going to like, the reality is you're, you're not part of the team. Yeah. Right. You're part of the family. You're part of the fan base. You're part of like this group of like, Hey, we're 
we are all ducks and we are all pulling for this university. And so it's Dan Lanning's job to be personable and to engage and to, um, to be the face of the program, to present himself in a way that, that, um, that represents our university, our family, you know, in a positive light nationally, you know, to stand up when things go wrong, to, you know, to credit, um, players and, and coaches when things go well, but it's, it's, it's not his job to tell us who's, who's injured and who's not like, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's no, that's well said. I, but also at the same point, it is our job. It's my job as a media member to keep asking him and to see if he ever, I, I believe that. I think that we are trying to do this for the fan base to try and get Why? more knowledge. What, what, if you know, you know, like, Hey, Coach Lanning, are you ever going to give us an, you know, just ask him a question. Hey, are you ever going to give us a true accurate? If I ask you about somebody's health, will you, will you give me a straight answer? He'll probably say no, probably won't. That's the thing. He sometimes does, though. It's, it would be really easy if before the season cut and dry, he said, hey, I am not going to say a single thing about an injured player. Um, but sometimes he does. There's sometimes where he's like, well, yeah, this guy's making progress and we, we might see him soon. So that's kind of what keeps us because you never know. Sometimes he's going to say something, sometimes he won't. But in general, I think you've seen a lot of us media members stop asking because you know yeah. what? We know we're not going to get anything. Well, yeah. And so if you want to, if you want to ask, cool, good on you. Right. But don't yeah. be set as a media member or a fan. If he doesn't give you the answer that you want, right. Because I think that's incredibly fair you want and what you are entitled to or what you, the NFL, every team must put that, that is in the rules. That is, yep. you know, that is how it is. Every media member in the, in the, in the NFL is entitled to an accurate injury list. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not. And so until maybe, maybe we, you can make that part of the, uh, when, when college football divorces itself from the universities and becomes this minor league professional thing, it has to, you have to have a, an accurate injury report. There you go. Well, I mean, what the Zach a lot of does. that's yeah, that'll be my uh, my claim to fame. A lot of that is correct me if I'm wrong because of gambling, though. Is it not the the gambling, the sports books in Las Vegas? They want accurate information so they can get the best lines up, so they can not lose as much money as they possibly could every weekend. So I think that I mean that may not be the whole part of it, but I think that's got a big part to do with it. And now that gambling on college sports is more legal and more prominent. I think we could be heading in a direction where we do see that. That's a good point. Okay. Last question here for you. All right, go. All right. So I've told you before, obviously I was a childhood fan of yours. I had your poster up on my wall when I was growing up. So coming to this interview, I wanted to ask you something that I've always, always wanted to ask you. And I'm sorry, this might bring up a little bit of a painful memory for you. So just prepare yourself. What was your reaction like in 2001 when Nebraska got into the BCS title game over Oregon and got killed by Miami? And how do you think the Ducks would have done instead of Miami or instead of Nebraska in that game? I was pissed. (laughs) I was furious Um, because there is no logical justification for why they won. I literally asked Jeff Tedford. I had for like the last three weeks of the year, I had one of the one of the uh, there was a grease board in the uh, quarterback room. I had like every team like all right, here's this and and this is the because we were like a ten team or was it like a ten pull BCS and it was computer here and this percentage. I was like, okay, when they lose here, they're going to drop below them, which means their average is going to go here, and we're going to and I had it all set up where we were going to bump up to number two. Yep, and it didn't, and it made no logical sense at all. Um, to this day, I think we should have been in that. And I, I know we should have been And and there's nobody, there's, there's nobody who can logically make an argument against that. <laughs> now, as I've said many times, uh, Kenny Dorsey was the starting quarterback who was backed up by Brock Berlin. Left tackle was, uh, uh, Joaquin Gonzalez, who was backed up by Vernon Carey. The center, um, oh, God, who is their center? Right? Oh, God, of course now I'm drawing a blank on all of this. Yeah, okay, I can't help you here either. 
corners were Philip Buchanan and um, Mike Rump, who were backed up by Antrell Roll and um, God, another. Both all four corners went first round. Ed Reed was the starter who was backed up by Sean Taylor. Jeremy, in other words, they were good. Was was the starter who was backed up by Kellen Winslow, who was backed up by Buck Ortega, who was backed up by Fred freshman Greg Olson. Uh, Vince Wilfork was the defensive lineman who was backed up by uh, Jerome McDougal. I mean, it was literally first rounder after. They had more first round draft picks than we had total draft picks on our team. Wow. Oh, yeah, that Clinton Portis was the running back who was backed up by who was backed up by (laughs) Garrett Payton. All three of those guys only played because Frank Gore tore his ACL in training camp. Yeah. Okay. That being said, Craig Krenzel beat that team the next year in the national championship game. Craig Krenzel (laughs) beat that Miami team. So don't in in the spirit of who I was at that time of my life, which was a don't tell me I can't do something because I will literally devote my, my every waking hour to it. All I wanted was a shot. Mm-hmm. If we play them ten times, do we win fifty percent of them? Probably not. I mean, let's, yeah. let's be honest. That was one of the greatest teams in college football history. Yeah. But if we got one shot to beat them, <laughs> anything can happen. I wouldn't be putting my money against us. I'll just say yeah. that. Um, yeah. Because that was, that was who we were, right? We didn't have to play them 10 times. We had to play them once. And I think if you would have – pitted the two of us together, it would have been, you know, the true, like the David and Goliath, right? It was, it was a, it was, it was an outmatched team in Nebraska, but it wasn't, it wasn't, that wasn't the storyline because they had the Heisman Trophy winner and Eric Crouch and Nebraska was Mm -hmm. Nebraska and they had the, you know, the national championship history. And, um, but we were, we were nothing. We were nobodies. We were the outsiders. We were the, you know, we were the party spoilers. And I really think that there could have been, you know, that that would have been one of those situations where, you know, you get a bunch of first rounders on a team who overlooks somebody who comes in much like they did Craig Krenzel the next year. Um, We just wanted one shot. That's it. Yeah. Anything could have happened. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to wrap it up there, Joey. I can't thank you enough for coming on with me and talking some football. It's always a pleasure. I know you've got Talking Ducks coming out. I believe it's each week. You've got your foundation going strong. Go ahead and uh, go ahead and plug some stuff. Where can people find you, and how can they best donate to help uh, help your cause? Because you give a lot back to this community, and it's it's very honorable work. Yeah, I appreciate it. So, yeah, that is – yes, we do have the Talking Ducks show, which comes out weekly, our YouTube, and we're on Root Sports. Um but yeah, most of my time is spent with, with the foundation where we give college scholarships to young leaders in the state of Oregon uh, and then connect them with mentors to, to help open doors. Um, ironically, uh, we've, we're going to have a fundraiser coming up here the 1st of November. Last year we did uh, we call it the Bourbon Barrel Benefit. Buffalo Trace uh, Distillery has been a wonderful supporter of ours and they donated a bottle a barrel of buffalo trace that i got to go out and select this last year and we raffled that off with uh with a bottle of pappy van winkle 23 awesome um this year i got to go out and i i picked out a barrel of weller foolproof which if you're a bourbon connoisseur you you know carries a little bit of weight so um i happen to think it was pretty incredible and uh we're going to be doing another raffle coming up here like I said, probably I think we're going to be launching the first of November, so um, I'll have plenty of Twitter stuff going out. You know, I, I'm not sure if you knew, but I'm a social media influencer now. Um, yeah, you are. I've seen. Yeah, I mean, that's 
all I do is spend my time on social media. Um, but yeah, that's if you want to get get involved, that that is honestly the the best way to to get involved with us. HarringtonFamilyFoundation.org, and you know we'll be sending out links to this this raffle, and all of the money literally goes straight to the scholarships for our students. So um, just keep an eye out. Appreciate. It. I'm sure I'll be uh, hitting you up to give us a little more uh, visibility as we get closer too. Hey, my pleasure. I encourage everyone to to go look at that. I uh, I hope to talk to you again soon. And I again, thank you very much for coming on. It's always fun talking to you. Yeah, my pleasure, buddy. Anytime. All right. Thank you again to uh, Joey Harrington for coming on and talking to us for uh, quite a while about what we've seen from the Ducks so far this year, what we saw at Texas Tech last week, and then looking ahead at both uh, the Colorado game upcoming um, and then just kind of the Pac-12 as a whole. It's been you know, it's always really good to talk to Joey and just get his insight on that type of stuff. Um, I'm not going to dive too deep into this Hawaii game for a couple of reasons. One, um, you know, to be completely honest, I'm a little bit sick. I got a head cold coming back from Texas. Um, I did test COVID negative. So I'm hopefully, hoping this goes away by Saturday when the game rolls around. But um, just to be honest, I don't have too much energy to, to deep dive into Hawaii into a game that... I think, you know, the other reason, I don't think it's going to be that good of a game. I know that Hawaii throws the ball a ton. Um, they really don't run too much. They've got a really good quarterback, um, really good couple couple really good receivers. So I know that Oregon's secondary is going to be tested quite a bit. But I know that Hawaii also just lost their, their starting middle linebacker, one of the best players on their defense, arguably the best player on their defense. So, um, yeah, I... That's my my insight on this game for you. I don't think it's going to be that close. I know that Oregon's favored, but I think it's 37 and a half points um, with the over-under. I think it's around 68. So uh, that tells you that it's it's not going to be that close of a game, I don't think. And, and Vegas doesn't think so either. So uh, 5 o'clock kickoff on Saturday. We'll be looking forward to that. Hopefully some good weather in Eugene. Again, hopefully I'm feeling a lot better uh, between now and then. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We will talk to you guys on Saturday night or Sunday morning after the game. Until then, take it easy. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.